0: Looking for practical information to help you make decisions about your diagnosis, whether DCIS, early or metastatic breast cancer? BCNA's My Journey features articles, webcasts, videos and podcasts about breast cancer during treatment and beyond to help you, your friends and family as you progress through your journey. It also features a symptom tracker to help you manage the changing symptoms you may encounter during your own breast cancer experience. My Journey. Download the app or sign up online at myjourney.org.au.
1: Welcome to Upfront, a podcast series where breast cancer survivors share their experience, good and bad, in an effort to help others in their breast cancer journey. In this episode, we welcome Raylene Boyle. Yes, she is an Australian sporting icon. Her athletic achievements are endless. She's also a survivor of breast and ovarian cancer. As a founding board member for Breast Cancer Network Australia, her commitment to BCNA and helping Australians with the disease has been unwavering for more than 20 years. In fact, Rails, as we affectionately call her at BCNA, has often said that her work in advocacy means more to her than all her sporting medals and accolades. Let's find out why. Welcome, Rails. Thank you, Kelly. Um, Why? Well,
2: you know, the achievements in the sporting world were something that were, now I realise, quite shallow. It was a physical thing. It was something I could do well. I was gifted at it. wasn't, you know, the challenge was getting out to training every day and doing the hard yards and making it work when it came to a, a key race. But with the breast cancer, and I was in charge of it, I guess that's the bottom line. But with the breast cancer, I wasn't in control. I didn't understand it. I didn't know where the treatments were going to take me. I didn't know whether I was going to live or die. And it, almost seemed like
1: I had absolutely no control over that situation which I didn't. So it's a while ago since you were diagnosed 1996 so it's coming up to 24 years. I've just celebrated 24 years. So do you still celebrate milestones of being 24 years clear?
2: Very much. I think I like to believe that I celebrate every day um, being alive for another day. I certainly do celebrate the annual Date fourth of March, and there are days when celebration it can't be the right word because there are the black days where you go, oh my God, am I lucky? Was the diagnosis wrong and it wasn't as bad as I thought? Am I just one of those people who secondaries decided they weren't going to hit? I I don't know, and I have those black days and the guilt days where I've seen so many women through this organisation, beautiful women who have done so much, you know. And these people have gone and they did so much for so many and even the women alive today. These guys did so much back when they were alive to help us all today survive and the newly diagnosed get medications and and it goes on and on but those black days are pretty tough. So we often talk about survivor guilt so that's I guess that's what it is yeah I guess that's what it is because I in many ways with the life that I've had in sport and and the life that I've had which has been pretty different special whatever you want to call it um, I feel like a bit of a cheat, still being alive. I sort of think if I could have exchanged places
1: with them, I would have. It's a big call. Do you remember? So it's 24 years ago. Yeah. Do you still remember that day of diagnosis? I do. I went in and had a lumpectomy,
2: and um, they, while they're in there, they found spots that uh, they took a, a biopsy of. And I got a phone call the next day. I was told it was going to be probably a week or four or five days before I I had any results returned to me. And the very next morning I got a phone call to say, Mr Collins wants to see you today. And I said, but I'm busy today. I've taken the day off work and I'm going to the launch of the stall gift. Nothing was registering. And eventually the penny dropped and it was just, I was useless. Fortunately, I had a friend with me who organised the time to go and see Mr Collins and ran me around all day. I still got to the launch of the stall gift and I had a few champagnes before I went to see Mr Collins. When I got into his office, I had two uh, two friends with me and I was a mumbling mess. I was useless. Once again, it was because I was out of control. I didn't know how to tackle this thing. I didn't understand it and I was being told things without an explanation as such. You know, you will be at the hospital the next time on Friday to have surgery. You will have MRIs before that. You will have this test and that test. But no-one was giving... As an athlete, you're given... You know the bottom line. You know, you go out and you run this far and you, you, um, your achievements in a major race are because you've done that. And the package goes together a yeah, lot better. All the dots join. Yeah. But in, with this stuff, I was given... Nothing. Nothing much. Uncertainty. And absolute uncertainty and that's where I go to the control. I was out of control. I didn't have charge of that part of my life and that scared the hell out of me.
1: How important was it to have those two support people
2: there? Oh, them? vital. Vital. I really wouldn't have been able to to get through that appointment with him. I would have been... Um, I wouldn't have taken anything in. And really, I left the room... And they they, um, organised it. They were the ones who got all of the dates and all of the times and all of the things I had to do. And and basically, between them, they ran me around to all the appointments in that five days. And it was, um, without them, I would have been totally lost. And as it was, I went into this gaga world, I call it. But it was like, I don't know, there was like a a sheet had come over me. I, I was not thinking straight I was not seeing straight I was yeah I couldn't get it together were you feeling optimistic or no I was feeling shit scared and I hadn't sort of begun to move towards an optimistic um, level and particularly uh, as he told me it wasn't a cancer in the first instance the doctor and then the next day he tells me it is a cancer and then he tells me, well, you won't have to do any more treatment. We'll just go in and clear the margins. And, and three days after that, he came back to me and said, well, it was a 25% spread into the lymph nodes, um, but we did get clear margins and you've got to start your chemo once the surgery has healed. And I'm thinking, hang on, you told me I wasn't, basically I wasn't going to be doing anything like that. So I, I did go into a terrible state of shock and quite a, quite a deep depression, actually.
1: Which is not uncommon. How did you work through that?
2: Well, once I stopped falling from the cliff I was on, I, um, I just had to get my shit together. Um, and what I did was I tried not to think too far ahead. And so I got the processes going of I had, I had two weeks on chemo and two weeks off. Um, and I just had to... I don't know, try and go as smoothly as I could through it with all of the tests that go with the um, before you start your chemo again. And I tried to work. Unfortunately, I was working in horticulture for Paran Council, and the people, the powers that be there, were very good to me. They were very good to me. And um, they just told me as long as I was honest with them they would look after me, which they did. And as it turned out, the CEO at the time became the CEO of the City of Sydney. So my employment went from Perran to Sydney, basically, before the Olympics in 2000. Um, But it was a a very dire time. And it was, once again, it was so hard because I lost charge of what was going
1: on. How do you pull yourself out of the darkness when you say you had to get your shit together? But how do you recall actually doing that? Because it's, it's not easy to do.
2: No, it's not easy to do. Um, and I've just gone through some more dark, more dark days. I, you know, it's a pretty... Uh, as someone said to me, one of the um, psychologists I go to, she said, Raylene, it's just you. Anyone around you has just got to accept the fact that you will have good days and bad days. And, you know, you might not have a bad day for years... And then something will trigger something and you'll go into a hole again and they've just of got to let you come out of it your way. And that might be taking the dog to the beach and walking or catching up with somebody I like. Under my terms though, you know, when I call, it's time out, it's time out. Being flooded by people calling in to see how I am is the worst thing that can happen to me. Um, I've usually got a protector that will be able to chase them away um, it's basically the simple things looking around my life to see how blessed I am how lucky I am I have a, a lovely home I have no debt I have my beautiful dog I have a nice partner um, I've got a pretty good life and once I can get my head around thinking about that rather than the dark stuff I
1: slowly come out of it
2: yeah
1: so there the tough times, do you remember the feeling you had once the treatment had stopped? Was it happy? Was it lost?
2: Well, that's another interesting time, too, for us people who have had cancer and gone through chemo and radiation. Um, The chemo was interesting because, you know, I ended up doing seven months of chemo. It was a long period of time. Um, And to be truthful, the last couple of days of tablets, because I would have an infusion on two Mondays in a row and I'd take chemo tablets for two weeks. So those last couple of days of taking the tablets were... In the back of my mind, I'm thinking, I know these are going to make me feel lousy. Um, are they going to make a difference in the big picture? Um, if I just leave them, will anyone know that I haven't taken them? Um, I made myself. It's like a training program. You you have to do it all um, to make it work. So I took them all. But I did go into a pretty deep depression again after I finished them. It was like falling off a cliff, literally falling off a cliff, um, because it was like, well, what now? More uncertainty. Yeah, more uncertainty. What is going to keep me alive now? And I was desperate to live. I was 44. I was young. I'd spent half my life running, um, and I wanted to live and do a lot of things. But it was a really tough time looking at those bloody pills. I can remember sitting at the kitchen bench and thinking... Is that going to make a difference or isn't it?
1: Well, it's a good thing that you followed through.
2: (laughs) Maybe. Maybe they made a difference, maybe they didn't, but I'm still here.
1: (laughs) What about other people's attitudes? Did you feel a little bit, well, not neglected by any uh, thought, but quite often when people finish their treatment, it is that what now, and everybody almost gets back to their own life... Yeah, I can remember my brothers saying to me, particularly my younger brother, well, you finished
2: it now, get over it. It's like, mate, I'm not going to get over this for the rest of my life. You know, it's like um, winning an Olympic medal. You've always won that medal. It's with you for life. I didn't want cancer and um, when I got it, I knew it was going to be with me for life because people come up to me every day and talk about it. Where I live in a little place called Budrum, there's always someone who'll come up. They mightn't say, how's your breast cancer? But they say, how are you? And stare me in the eye as if to say, well, you're either going to tell me you're dying or you're not. Um, it's with you for life. And that's something you have to manage. But you can turn that around and go, well, the wonderful experiences I've had out of breast cancer as I've said, the wonderful people I've met, the the places I've been, the watching this organization, Breast Cancer Network, grow and experience some of you know, experiencing the highs we've had. We've had wonderful, wonderful highs. And I've been here since Lynn Swinburne and and Gil were the only people in the office. They were the two, they were doing it. Gil was Lynn's backup. There was absolutely no money. Um, they were doing it for free up in the Baker's Delight office, one office, and then they, you know, had to start expanding. And, and it just became bigger than Ben Hur, really. And um, watching that and watching the changes in the attitude of the government and especially having a targeted organisation like this that is basically there to represent the individual with breast cancer and to make sure that the drugs and the MRIs and the PET scans and all of those things are available to our women who need them uh, has been fantastic. And one, of, probably one of the most special highs was my 50th birthday, which, you know, we had a small group of 1,100 people at Crown Casino to celebrate, with including the Prime Minister. And that poor bugger was sat between Lynn Swinburne and myself. And the target at that particular event was to get Herceptin passed on to the PBS. And we didn't exactly get that, but we got it passed on to another area that John Howard created for it. And it was a significant drug, and a lot of women were paying 70, 80,000 to have it. And today, You know, 24 years later, not quite 24 years later, but a long time later, Mm. it is still a very significant drug. And that was one of the highest achievements that I felt that we'd, um, at that stage, we'd been able to achieve.
0: BCNA's online network is an active peer-to-peer support community where people affected by breast cancer can find information and connect with others who understand what you're going through. Read posts, write your own, ask a question, start a discussion and support others. The online network is available for you at every stage of your breast cancer journey, as well as your family, partner and friends. For more information, visit bcna.org.au forward slash online network.
1: So with your diagnosis 24 years ago, BCNA wasn't around then. What do you think... BCNA is now to women who do have breast cancer?
2: Look, I think to a certain degree um, the nurses and the doctors take BCNA for granted because we've been around for the 21 years or so now. But back before that, when I was diagnosed, there was just nothing. There was no help. And also a lot of the women back then which probably was part of how you lived back then, you didn't talk about having it. It was all very quiet. It was very silent. It was, you know, close to your chest, so to speak. And did you feel that way too? Did you keep it close to your chest?
1: Because you're a pretty open book.
2: Yeah, it was a little bit hard in my position to do that. Um, My mother was actually um, very ill when I was diagnosed. She was dying of esophageal cancer. And I had to keep my situation quiet because she didn't need to know that I was sick. Um, And so I sold the story to Women's Weekly and 60 Minutes. So my story wasn't going to be kept close to my chest. It was going to be out in the open eventually and that was going to mean that a lot more people would stop and say things to me like, ''I know how you feel.'' And on some occasions those people, women, did know how I felt. But quite often they'd be people who had no bloody idea because they'd never had a cancer... And they would, um, they would say, oh, I know how you feel. You'll be right. And you go, hang on, what have you had? And they go, nothing. I'd say, you have got no idea
1: how I feel. I think that's why BCNA's online network is so powerful and important for our members, because that is a safe place where people can go and share with people who know how they feel. And it's not only that,
2: it can, it's a great place for remote women to go who are all alone and they can go to the online um, situation because I'm so good with computers. They can go to our online groups and have relationships with people about their breast cancer um, without anyone really knowing them but it also stops them from feeling alone. You know, they can pour out their hearts. And and what we've found with it is a lot of people do it at night. You know, you can't sleep. God, how many sleepless nights have I had over the years? Um, Just a little trigger, like, you know, somebody that you know, and and let's face it, in this organisation, being around so long, over the years there's been a lot of women that we love and who have done great things that have passed away. And really, I can't sleep for weeks at night.
1: Yeah. So it is, it's always a trigger for you. Oh,
2: yeah, yeah. It brings it into a dark spot for me. Fortunately, I'm very good at sleeping through the day. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, there are triggers that, you know, I'm sure for women with children, I don't have children, but I'm sure for women with tri- children it would be looking at them and going, I want to see you finish school or I want to see you get married or I want to see you have your family. And at night is the time when you start thinking
1: when the house is quiet and, and the brain goes a million and miles an hour.
2: Absolutely. And it's when most of
1: us, if we have
2: dark moments, are going to get
1: dark. Exercise has been the other core part of your life. Have you turned to that to help your mental health? Yes, I was pretty disappointed with how big
2: I became after the treatment, which is an uncommon. Um, and not that I've lost weight. But certainly over the different stages when I've been well enough, I've exercised. And um, I always try to walk in the morning with the dog for about an hour. And just in the last six months, I've employed a personal trainer. And I go to him three times a week. And I can feel change. It's not size change. It's just shape change. What Um, about
1: mental change?
2: Mental change because... To be truthful, when I go to the gym, I get away from all of the other rubbish in my life and Mike, my trainer and I, we just get into what we're doing and have the best time and that's what we're thinking about and have a laugh and, you know, how weak are you today and all sorts of things are thrown at me. But it's been very good for my head. I really do believe in the positive endorphins that are stimulated from exercise and even if it's only a little bit, mowing the lawns. I feel like I've exercised and I feel better about myself.
1: So how would you sum up your your 20 years with BCNA and, and you're still on the board, why do you keep going? I, I believe my role these days on the board is
2: to keep everyone grounded and remember that what we're about are the women that are diagnosed today, tomorrow, in the year... And over the last whatever number of years, when I was diagnosed, there were 7,500 women diagnosed a year and about two and a half of those lost their battle. Now it's over 20,000. And the numbers of um, deaths is still about the set, two and a half thousand. And we've become more involved with the fact that men get it, um, 150 or so a year, I think it's my role, as I said, I think my role is very important because when we get carried away with all of the other stuff that you can get carried away with in an organisation like this, I like to bring it back to the fact we're about the women. So any decisions we have to make, let's think about how it's going to affect the women and the blokes who are diagnosed with breast cancer.
1: You must be proud, though.
2: I've had the most wonderful years on this board. It's actually made being diagnosed with breast cancer... A worthwhile challenge for me because I feel like all those years of running and the name that I that I was able to create out of that um, has been put to good use by being involved with this
1: organisation. Well you deserve a medal for that Rails if we had one. Haven't got a chest anymore
2: (laughs) no I have got a chest don't get me wrong but medals medals are just temporary nothings um, I think creating and being a part of
1: this organisation are permanent somethings. Well, thank you for everything you do for BCNA and for joining us on Upfront. Thanks, Kelly. And this episode has been produced with Thanks to Cancer Australia. Don't forget, BCNA's online network is a wonderful way to connect with others. You'll find how to join on our website, bcna.org.au. For any individual concerns, please contact your health professional. Until next time, I'm Kelly Curtin. Thanks for being up front with us.